you got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 18. Good to see everybody. And if you are a guest today, just information, we're in a series. We're approaching the end next week, but it's taken from hospice patients, people who have weeks to live or days to live, and interviews as to what they thought was the most important thing in their life. What was their number one regret? What would they do different if they could do life over? You could learn a lot from people who don't have a lot of time left to live about what's really valuable, what's really important. So Matthew chapter 18, we're going to talk a little bit about forgiveness. Now this one is hard. It's hard. It's easy to talk about, easy to say. It is very difficult without God's grace to do. I'm just letting you know, I don't think everything God asked me to do is easy. In fact, I don't think He ever asked me to do anything that's easy. I don't know what Christianity you have, but most things He asks you to do are like, me? Who are you talking to? What on earth? That's not possible. So He'll always scare you. If you have straight hair, He'll perm it, and if you're permed, it'll go straight because it'll always kind of say, oh, I don't know if I could do that. Well, you couldn't do that without His grace and help. So we'll, do, we'll, we'll take a shot at it today, okay? Matthew 18, verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Well, wait, Jesus, let me be magnanimous here. How about seven times? That ought to be super saint. And Jesus said, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. I love Peter, I guess because I identify with him a lot. God bless his heart, he tries so hard, but he's so human. You know, he's walking on water one moment and he's sinking like a rock the next. He suffers from foot and mouth disease all the time. In, in today's passage, I love how Peter offers what he thinks is a pretty generous offer about how many times you ought to forgive somebody. You know, old Pete's the old brown nosing up to Jesus to show Jesus just how merciful he is by suggesting an amount of times to forgive that only a super saint would even consider seven times. Wow, Pete, let's don't overdo it. He couldn't be married, could he? I mean, that, that would, seven would go by the first day. Can, can you kind of see his jaw drop at Jesus' response? Uh, the translations usually say not seven times, but 70 times seven. And I can hear mental calculators out there clicking. That's 490 times. If you're keeping score, which you shouldn't be doing, Jesus has not given me permission to get to 491 and then say, aha, not this time, Jack. No. Jesus is just using a, an infinitesimal number, say as often as it's necessary. Jesus saying any number that you think of is too low. Forget about 491st time or the seventh time. For some of us, it's hard to forgive the first time. See, real forgiveness is real difficult to offer. So I'm not surprised people who are dying listed their lack of forgiveness as one of the regrets they had most about their lives. So in this series, we've been learning some lessons, and I'm going to review about patience and what they would change about their lives if they could live it over again. So far, they said they would have taken more risks, and they said they would have lived more in the present moment than worrying about the past 
or the future. They'd enjoy today. That's the only time I got. And, And today they tell us they would have forgiven much more easily in their lives as they're able to do now in their death. So why would forgiveness come so easily to people who are dying? Well, because the dying have been given a unique perspective on the priorities of life, a perspective not driven by success or prominence or control. Those things don't matter to them, not now, the way they matter to us. The things that are barriers to forgiveness for us, like my pride, I got to be right, my fear of being hurt, my reputation, that's trivial to people on a deathbed. So the urgency of dying is a strong impetus towards forgiveness. So why do so many people wait until then, if at all, to forgive? You know, in the readings I was doing for this series, I was continually amazed at the level of peace the hospice nurses saw in their patients. One nurse said the dying often find peace they lacked in life because dying and forgiving are both about letting go, letting go. And you know, looking around this room, there's a whole lot of letting go that needs to happen. It can affect you spiritually, physically, emotionally, all kinds of ways. So for the people dying, it's no longer about winning or holding a grudge or getting even, punishing somebody. The dying don't think, I have been so right, and in being so right, I can see how wrong you have been. So in my bigness, I will forgive you. No. Instead, they think, hey, you made mistakes. I made mistakes, but we're more than our mistakes, both of us. In order to understand the power of forgiveness that these patients have experienced and the peace that kind of comes with it, you have to understand what it is and what it isn't. So let's take a, just a little jab at it. Forgiveness is not condoning the behavior of another person. See, it doesn't mean I excuse the action and I'm pretending it wasn't bad. If somebody wrongs you, hurts you, abuses you, it's still wrong, even if you forgive them. So we're called to be forgiving, not doormats. Big difference. For example, Joseph told his brothers when they're standing before him, and he's prime minister of Egypt, and he has the power of life and death in his hands, I know you rascals met my kidnapping for evil. I'm not stupid, but God meant it for good so I could save your lives. So he forgave them. He didn't hurt them at all. He didn't seek any punitive damages, but he didn't forget what they did and why they did it. And forgiving is also not forgetting something. In some instances, that would be irresponsible. For example, 2 Timothy chapter 4, old uh, uh, Paul writes to a young protege named Timothy, and he says, hey, Tim, Alexander the coppersmith did me a lot of harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You know, he he didn't forget what the coppersmith did, but he's already forgiven him for it. But he he says, Lord, you reward him. I'm not going to seek vengeance. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, I'll repay. Stop trying to do God's job. God's telling you, if you're a believer, that he is the ultimate judge. He knows what you don't know about the whole situation. I see one frame. God sees the whole picture, the whole beginning to end. 
And He will use things, even bad things, to shape your future and change the future, just like Joseph. Joseph thought, all I am is a victim of these jealous brothers, and uh, now I'm going to be a slave, and I'm falsely accused and put in jail. But the biggest picture was God had to get the guy there so he could be promoted to prime minister to save the whole family, which was 75, that would ultimately bring Messiah to the whole world. Joseph couldn't see that much, and you can't either. I just don't believe you can put me in a, in a situation so bad God can't intervene and somehow make that sucker work out. I just don't believe it's possible. I think He's always working on the life of a believer, always doing something. But I don't always like the process. Can I identify with somebody? Okay, you don't want me to lie, do you? I don't always like the process. A lot of times we can't forget what somebody's done to us, which is exactly why we need to forgive. Forgiveness also doesn't mean reconciliation. Now, it's great if it does, but sometimes the person we need to forgive is dead. Maybe they moved away. They're no longer in our lives. Or maybe they are not interested in reconciliation. You know, that's just not possible. Forgiveness affects something called trust. If you have an employee who embezzles $250,000 for you, you discover it, and you terminate them, but you forgive them the debt, you're probably not going to give them the checkbook. Okay, Christians are not supposed to be stupid. We do forgive. If your husband's had a two-year affair with multiple women, and he says, honey, please forgive me, well, you are commanded as a believer to forgive, but not reconcile. I'm not commanded to reconcile. Trust has to be earned. Forgiveness is commanded to be given, but not trust. Does that make sense? Or everybody in the world could tap dance through your life. That'd be, that'd be crazy. That's not, God doesn't do that. But it is wonderful when reconciliation can occur. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But it's not always possible. So you just need to know that. Just because somebody says, I forgive you, I may have done so much damage to someone's heart and life and soul, they can't have me back. But they can forgive me and seek no penalty against me. Man, if I told you how many times, and I bet there are stories in here that would curl our hair about how many times we've had to do it. I had a guy steal $30,000 from me in Europe uh, before coming here, never got a penny of it back, uh, ran into him like, I don't know, six, seven years later, and he said, I, I'm going to pay that bill. I says, no, no, I forgot. That bill is too much for me to leave it out there. It eats me alive. I, it does bad things to me. I forgive you. You owe me nothing. Get out of my life. I don't want to see you again. It's done. Never mentioned it again. And then we had a guy on staff in the early days in another location, one of our Christian brothers. And by the way, this can occur with not just pagan people, but Christians too. They ain't nobody can do you like a Christian brother can do you. <laughs> And he was stealing money out of an account I had for Europe for all of our ministries, and I had no idea it was going on. He stole all that money. Then they signed contracts in Europe on some of my books and stuff. I never got a penny. It was all gone. (laughs) And asked Judy about it one day, and I just said, I forgive them. I release them. I don't want it on my mind. There's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I can do about it. I forgive them. I don't trust them. I fired the guy. But I, but I forgave it. It's done. I don't want even want to talk about it. If they came back today, I, wouldn't, I don't want to talk about it. It's over. I won't let you take control of my life. I will not let the, the, the person who victimized me control my life. I won't do it. 
You've been, I mean, we got people in here that have been sued falsely, slandered, uh, some people sexually abused. Uh, how about racial profiling, discrimination? We have people from other nations and countries here just because they're from that country. Then people assume they're a terrorist or something, and, and stupid people don't think. And I'm thinking, I'd have to tell you the same thing I tell myself, that if I love Jesus, I've got to forgive. But I don't have to trust you. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a big deal. So a lot of folks who are, are dying have to give up the hope of reconciliation. Could be a parent who's dead, who, who never believed in you, who cut you down. And, you know, I've had people walk out to the cemetery right over a tombstone and, and talk out loud to that person just for their own personal closure to forgive them. Mother, I forgive you. Daddy, I forgive you. I had to forgive my dad. I told you in one of the messages I hated his guts. I've been, he's married five times. I never uh, had, uh, we were tossed around family relatives and all. And I thought, what a loser. You know, great World War II hero, but a loser as a parent and as a husband. And I remember having to make a phone call when I understood the damage it was doing to me. Me, forget him, me, that I had to release him. And I went to a phone and made the most difficult phone call I ever made in my whole life. It was like every time I, this was back when we had a dial phone, you, rotary. And you have, a lot of t- you have a lot of time, there was no speed dial to dial a long distance call. And it was like a truck rolled off of me. And then I bought him a first class ticket and took him around the world while I preached, Australia, South Africa, all the way back. And I've never had another thought about it. I mean, I, do, what do you think of your dad as a husband, father? He's terrible. <laughs> but I have nothing. I have no offense. I'm holding no anger, no bitterness, no resentment. It's gone. It, it doesn't even come up. Not at all. And I'm saying, I wish I'd learned that a lot earlier than a lot later. And for some of you, you need to do the same thing, right? Uh, God says something like this. If you don't forget, because I have forgiven you, if you can't forgive your brother, I'll deliver you to the tormentors. He will allow the enemy to come in and kind of ravage you. It could be physically, emotionally. It could be working in your business or through your children. It's a door open. It doesn't, doesn't take away my redemption, a salvation, but it allows the enemy to plunder me. I don't want the enemy plundering me. I'm shutting that door. Some of you got the door wide open, French doors wide open, saying, just come on in, eat me alive. I'm going to hate. It feels good to hate. It feels good to hold on to it, and it's killing you. you when you see that, it's easier to forgive. So those are, those are some things forgiveness is not. But what is it? You know, as I said earlier, it's essentially about letting go. Letting go of my right <laughs> to get you back. Now, excuse me, I am human. When God calls somebody to preach, He doesn't find somebody who has mostly a sinless life. He just picks out of the same pile of fallen human beings as you. I could just like he picks a mechanic or an airline pilot or a lawyer or a restauranteur or somebody, he picks us out of the, and you know, my, I'm an alpha male. I want to get you. I want to get you. And I can get you good. Uh, There is that old dark side that once in a while arises in those moments, like driving on 281, it'll come up. And then with some people, it'll, it'll come up and what they do. But I'm saying I've got a new man inside of me that I, that I don't yield this old guy to. I don't have to. So I give up my right to hurt you back. I give it up. And it's about letting go of my desire for vengeance. 
Now listen as we stop for a moment. That's different than justice. Justice is biblical. Vengeance is illegal. Does that make sense? In just a moment, I'm going to show you a two-and-a-half-minute video. I, I had Nico LaHood here last, in our service last night, our former district attorney. He, he, he had his brother murdered in front of him outside of his home many, many years ago. They carjacked his, the brother's car, shot him in the head, and Nico held his brother at 2 or 2.30 in the morning, and he died in his arms with blood streaming down the driveway. Now. In the early days when I knew Nico, he was filled with rage and anger. He's an alpha male too, and he wanted vengeance. But as he gave his life to Jesus, and as the Word of God began to wash him, and as God's Spirit and, uh, began to take control, he realized justice is appropriate, vengeance is never appropriate. And he's an attorney. He understands that. So I said, how would you feel if that happened to you. I mean, you could at least understand my right to want you to hurt and to get you back. Uh, these people were finally arrested, and Nico went to the execution, uh, justice of, of one of these perpetrators. The other one serves a life sentence. So I asked him about it, and watch the video. Well, Rick did a good job. Most people know our, our situation. You know, I was angry. I was a functioning angerholic when you load your brother's body on the, yep. on the gurney and when you help your pop wash your brother's blood off your driveway. That isn't doing anything for your spirit. And the problem was the world gave me no answers. The world tells us I don't blame you. And it feeds into the deception yep. and the lie. And it fed into my vengeance. And what I tell people is vengeance is about selfishness. It's about what I want, what result I want, not looking at the macro picture, looking at the micro Nico picture of what I want for that moment. Justice, as, as Rick was alluding to, talks about taking in all the information, not just the information that I want to use, and what's best for everyone, including the future. Remember, good. God's working off an Very eternal good. perspective. So justice is about society, about everyone else, and about the future. Vengeance is about myself, about the macro view. Now, with vengeance, there's no forgiveness because it's, we're, we're wrapped in flesh. With justice, there can be forgiveness, right? Now, the result might be the same. One of the individuals that was responsible for actually pulling the trigger, uh, he still was given the death penalty, and, and I watched the execution. But that doesn't mean that the result is different. You know, Brother George and I, when we talk a lot, we always talk about you can pick your choices, but you can't pick your consequences, wow. right? So, so you can pick the choice, and then you can be forgiven for that choice, but the consequence is the consequence. Doesn't mean that you're not going to be in heaven if we're kingdom-minded people. So that was the difference for me, that vengeance versus justice. Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord ask of you but to seek justice, love kindness, and walk humbly so with God. So we would be okay. You're a lawyer. <laughs> we would be okay in many, many things to seek justice. Yes. That's not anti-Christian justice. The thief on the cross is a lawyer was forgiven. Today, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is a thief. He's getting a death sentence. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. But the sucker still had to, justice had to prevail Correct. for his crime. So just because you trust Jesus, I think you said it by choices, uh, justice still had to prevail. You are forgiven, but you, now you suffer the result of the consequences of a bad choice, yeah, right? And then, you know, 1 Corinthians 5 talks about this, right? 12, about that the righteous or the spirited man judges all things, right? Makes assessments of all things. We're not called to be pacifists as Christians. We're not called to not make assessments. We're not called to condemn. 
That's the ultimate judge, right? That's the Lord. We are called to even Rick. I love the Timothy version of four. And then it's an imprecatory prayer. We're asking God for justice. And only he knows that macro picture of what justice looks like. In my life, if I didn't learn to forgive, I mean, it's... It's horrible, you know. Yeah. I wouldn't be where I'm at in a sense with being a daddy, being a husband. I'm not talking about professionally. I'm talking about as, as spiritually. And that made a difference for my kids and right. my grandkids right. in the future. Because you could pass that bitterness in oh. your spirit and temperament right on to the kids. Your kids will follow your example long before they follow your advice. And so if they see the anger, if they see the resentment, if they see the bitterness, and then it turns into a rageful person, I'm going to pass that on. And, and I always go back to Matthew 22:37 that love the Lord your God with everything than love your neighbor as yourself. So good. I can't give what I don't have. If I don't have forgiveness, I can't get it. give thank it to you, anybody Bo. else. Let's give Nico thanks, a good hand. Thank you, man. Great job. Okay, thanks, Nico. That's, that, you know, most of us won't have anything that approaches that level of uh, uh, resentment or anger, uh, like murder, but there's a lot of hurt, and there are a lot of people in this room, maybe watching my live stream, that have had terrible things happen to them. You can't let go if you're still holding on a desire for payback. You cannot. God is the ultimate judge. He said, I will repay. If you believe that, honestly, He can pay back a lot better than you. If you're trying to get back this person, God's out of the picture. He's not working. He's not doing anything. It's just you. And you're, you're suffering the penalty for it. And there's something else forgiveness is. It's extremely costly. It's scary to lay down your arms, to trade in your pride and your power. And one of the great benefits of having an enemy is you get to look good by comparison. See, Mary Gordon wrote this. She says, to forgive is to give up the exhilaration of my own assailable rightness. In other words, to forgive is to admit that not all the mistakes that were made were by the other person. It means seeing the other person is more than their error, admitting they are fallible human beings. They, they make mistakes. At times, they're weak, insensitive, confused, in pain. They're faulty. They're fragile. They're lonely. They're needy and emotionally imperfect. In other words, they're just like us, just different areas. The consequences of not forgiving can be brutal. You know, a lesson that some of the dying folks learned way too late. They held on to their grudges so long that by the time they tried to unwrap their fingers, it was too late. Bitterness had hardened their heart to the point that forgiveness wasn't possible. And they learned the hard lesson. The person who was most hurt by withholding forgiveness was themselves. Writer Anne Lamott said, I went around saying for a long time that I'm not one of those Christians who's heavily into forgiveness. I'm one of the other kind. But even though it was funny and actually true, it started to be too painful to stay that way. In fact, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and hoping the rat will die. No, you die. Gene Edwards, uh, a biblical writer, wrote this. He says, if in this life the only thing you accomplish is to keep yourself from becoming embittered, you've won a major victory. Otherwise, people own you. People imprison you. You give control of your life to the one you despise. See, God's means of eradicating bitterness in my life is the extension of forgiveness. It's the capacity to absolve people because of the mercy of Christ. That's liberty. But the desire for vengeance is pure bondage. I was surprised to learn that forgiving others wasn't the hardest thing for people at the end of their life. In most cases, it was pretty easy because there was nothing worth holding on to at that point. But many of the patients says their biggest struggle was forgiving themselves. 
and not being able to forgive ourselves can have serious ramifications for all of us. You know, I, I, I read a story a couple of years ago about a trick animal researchers used to trap chimpanzees. They, they would place a plexiglass box in a clearing. The box would have a small hole in its side, and inside there'd be a banana. And soon enough, a curious chimp would come along, check out the box. After he investigated it, the chimp would stick his hand in the box and then grab the banana. And because his fist is squeezed, he can't get it out of the box. And he squealed and jumped up and down and hollering, but he wouldn't let go of the banana. And the researchers then could walk up to it and capture it. Now, it would have been real easy for the chimp to escape capture. All he had to do was open his fist and let go of the banana. And that's a tough call because we can be our own worst critics. We can set expectations for ourselves way high and then beat ourselves up when we don't measure up to them. You know, we create voices that remind us of all the things we've done wrong, replaying them over and over and over again in a masochistic loop in our brain. I said a couple of weeks ago that one of the greatest fears we have is the fear of not being good enough. If we feel we're not good enough, we can feel we don't deserve forgiveness. And when you do that, you're usurping God's role as a merciful judge, and you're putting yourself in God's place. We're we're taking a gift we have been given, God's unmerited, undeserved, unlimited grace, and we're rationing it out only when we feel we deserve it, which won't be a lot of the times. See, we're forgetting the message we receive every week that we're a lot more than our mistakes. We're more than our bad decisions, more than our lapses in judgment. We can be so hard on ourselves, can't we? You have got to, you know what the Lord said? He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions. He said, I will remember your sin no more. He has no record of it. Here you are just carrying it around, carrying it around, talking about it, digging it up, talking about it, carrying it on. I don't deserve. I don't deserve. Who deserves anything? I don't deserve heaven to be made righteous, to be forgiven. I don't deserve God's goodness or God's grace or to breathe His air. Let's… Here's another nasty. After I graduated from university and college and then was called to preach, I went to seminary. And in seminary, you have, you have to pray before you take a test. They always have the prayer. And they ask this doodah to get up to pray before our exam. And I'll never forget what this moron said. <laughs> Lord, I pray that today you will give each of us exactly what we deserve. The lowest grades ever scored were scored in that class that day. And I told him, I said, if you ever pray that again, I'll beat you to death in Jesus' name. Do not ask God for what you deserve. (laughs) This is a God of mercy. I don't want what I deserve. Do you? No, not before God. What a dumb legalistic prayer. So sometimes, Lord, forgive me for that. I'm sorry. Sometimes we need to forgive ourselves because we've done the best we can. Other times we need to forgive ourselves because we haven't done the best we could. And all the time we need to remember we serve a forgiving God who even forgives our failure to forgive. Lord have mercy. In 1880, James Garfield was elected President of the United States. After only six months in office, he was shot in the back with a revolver by an assassin. He never lost consciousness. At the hospital, the doctor probed the wound with his little finger to see if he could find the bullet. 
Well, he couldn't find it, so he tried a silver-tipped probe. Still, he couldn't locate the bullet. They took Garfield back to Washington, D.C., and despite the summer heat, they tried to keep him comfortable. He was growing weak. Teams of doctors tried to locate the bullet, probing that wound over and over. In desperation, they asked uh, Alexander Graham Bell, who was working on a new device called the telephone, to see if he could locate the metal inside the president's body. Well, he came, he looked, and he failed. The president hung on through July, through August, but in September, he finally died. Listen, not from the wound, but from infection. The repeated probing by physicians that they thought would help the guy killed him. And that's true with people who dwell too long on their sin and refuse to release it to God who wants to obliterate it and say, I don't remember it. I have no record of it. As far as the east is from the west, I've cast them into the deepest sea, never to be remembered against you again. I hear people say, well, when you get to heaven, God's going to—listen, if you go to heaven, God ain't going to say anything but welcome. He can't remember anything. His blood is covered and forgiven. That's called grace. This is an oasis of grace, folks. I didn't come here to condemn anybody, beat anybody up. Jesus didn't do, this, didn't do it either. He said, I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. You know, for me to fail to forgive myself or anyone else who's offended me, and that's a big long list, is to imply I have a standard of forgiveness higher than God. Because whatever it is that hurt me that I can't forgive, God already has. Okay, so what's your banana? What do you need to let go of keeping you a prisoner? You know, it's time to unpack that backpack by those rocks you've been carrying around. It's time to make room for God's peace before our impending death makes that urgent. You know, we are God's children. We are loved. We're forgiven no matter what we've done. And if you sincerely ask, God forgives you, not just once or twice or seven times or 70 times seven. We are so imperfect. Get this. We are so imperfect, God stopped keeping score at the cross. So maybe we ought to do the same for ourselves and for each other. Maybe we should put down the score sheets and just take a walk, make a phone call, or say a prayer. You know, if you can't get to the person, just uh, write them a letter, make a phone call. And if they're dead, just, pr- just do it verbally, out loud to yourself, privately, somewhere, and just release them. It's therapy. It's therapeutic. It releases that toxins in your body. One of the hospice patients told his nurse, I mourn my dwindling time, but I cherish the chance it gives me to make things right. So folks, make it right with others, with yourself, with God, because we won't always have that time. You've got too big a future, too big a life to allow somebody to imprison you in some past horrific offense. And I tell you, we've got people from every race and culture in this room and background, and that's probably not possible. There isn't hurt per square foot in here to go around and then some. And I, I, it's not about, well, you don't know what they did. Yeah, I bet it's worse than what I think. But you're commanded in Jesus' name, as He has forgiven you, so we forgive others. But we don't excuse them, and they're still subject to justice. That's correct, but not vengeance. I release my right to get you back. And I am a free man. You can be free today. Did you know health issues sometimes clear up? Emotional issues? 
It's amazing what this does for us. It's a cleansing. It's a detox, letting go. It could be a deceased parent and what they did to you. We have folks, uh, so many wonderful folks from the African-American community, discrimination, racism, bigotry. Uh, Most of us who are white have no idea what some of their uh, pain was caused by, and they have to deal with it every day. We have other people in minority groups from different nationalities that suffer some form of discrimination. All I know is I'm not going to let you get me. I'm just going to forgive you. I'll, I'll do like a farmer. I'll mark the sheep. I, got, I know who you are or what you are, but I forgive you. I'm not going to sit up at night worrying about you. I'm not going to do it. I want you to bow your head with me real quick. How many of you know right now, just right now, off the top of your hat, you don't have to think about it, pray about it. There's someone you need to forgive, honestly, that hurt you, betrayed you. Just slip a hand up and take it down. Nobody's keeping count. Look at that. See, I'm telling you, you could have an incredible new year if you can let go an ex-spouse, somebody that uh, was unfaithful or abusive in some way or failed to meet responsibilities in the home. You don't have to trust them, but you do have to forgive them. And it's not about them. It's about you. It's about you being free. On the cross, innocent without sin, the Son of God said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And if Jesus can pray that and He lives in me, I must pray that. Forgive them. T.D. Jakes told me one time, we were together, he said, how do you know you've forgiven somebody? He said, it's easy. When you remember what they did, it doesn't hurt anymore. That's good. You didn't forget it, but it doesn't hurt anymore. And that's what I want for you. That's what God wants for you today. Father, I speak to the pain, the hurt, the anger, the resentment, the unforgiveness, the bitterness of betrayal or abuse or abandonment or rejection or theft. And I ask you to heal that pain today. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'll pour your love in every heart that's been wounded and hurt and restore it to wholeness. Not to forget it, but to forgive it. Give my my precious friends the power to release the desire for payback to anyone who's hurt them. And with our heads bowed, if you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, He'll forgive you and accept you into His family. If you're not sure you've ever done that or you've never done it, could I include you in my prayer before we close this morning? If that's you, just slip a hand up and take it down. Nobody's going to bother you. I'm not going to make you do anything. God bless you. God bless you. Somebody else say, Rick, include me in that prayer. I mean, this is the one who pardons all my iniquities, accepts me with full sonship rights, holds no grudges against me, never seeks to pay me back. I hear some people that go through a bad moment say, well, this is payback. I'm getting judged by God for something I did 20 years ago. You are not. Jesus took your judgment on the cross. You may be getting the consequences of a bad choice, but you are never getting judged by God if you've accepted Jesus. He took all the judgment. So God's never judging you. He may correct you. He can use things, but He's not judging you ever, ever. So stop saying that and receive His forgiveness. Can we pray this simple prayer? Everybody who lifted a hand and then all the church family, let's pray it together for our friends so they can pray. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess You are the Son of God. 
You died for all people. You rose from the dead. You paid the debt of my sin, past, present, and future. Come into my heart as my Savior, my forgiver, my friend. Thank you I have a hope and a future. Thank you for the forgiveness of my sin. Thank you I'll never be judged for anything in my life. Help me walk obediently. Help me release my anger, my unforgiveness towards anyone who has hurt me or offended me or caused me great pain. I choose by faith to release them now from my right to get even. Your word declares, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So Lord, as Paul prayed, you reward them according to their works in your way. I choose to be free and to embrace the fullness of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a shout, okay? For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.